Hello and welcome to Your Life Abroad. My name is Andre and I'm joined by my co-hosts Alexa, Nathan and Yustan. In this episode, we have a special guest, Stefan Romanov, who is the Vice President of the Ukrainian World Congress. Welcome to the show, Stefan. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you for having me. No problem. Uh, so, would you please explain what is the Say No to Putin campaign? What we've been trying to do is uh, internationally through Ukrainian World Congress and also through Ruch Opru Kapitulatsi in Ukraine. Um, what we try to do is bring together uh, civil society in Ukraine with the Ukrainian diaspora to send a message out to the international community that Putin has to be stopped. Why does he have to be stopped? Because the situation in Ukraine, if it escalates, it could end up in a full, full-fledged full war. Um, the question of the uh, situation where it is at the moment, Putin is not backing off. The uh, troops are still building on, on the border. Um, there's a lot of negotiation going. Um, the West is trying to convince Putin that he should remove his troops from Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian border. Putin, as he normally does, in his propaganda, says this is not uh, an invasion. Uh, what we're doing is we're having some war, war practices, war games, uh, etc. So at the moment we have a, a pretty volatile situation. We also have a fairly stern position from Ukraine itself. Ukraine will fight, so it's not about just diplomatic negotiations. And for example, this week the ambassador to the UK. Vadim Prestaiko, in his commentary, uh, was asked, do you trust Putin? No, no, we don't. Uh, And secondly, um, will Ukraine fight? Yes, Ukraine will fight. And what do you expect from the West? So uh, what Prestaiko was saying, and um, we see that the ambassador in uh, Latvia, Mishchenko, and others are now saying, what we want is, it's not just about military aid, it's about support. It's about boots on the ground, because this is an international situation um, that is erupting. You have to ask yourself why, and this is just part of Putin's plan of constantly uh, holding the world at ransom, and that's what he's doing at the moment. Uh, And I think there's another perspective to this that we've been saying, for example, to the Australian government and to others. Um, If, if, when and if this were to happen, that uh, Russia was to invade Ukraine, what do you think geopolitically that would mean for China and the uh, Indo-Pacific region? Uh, is that then a red light, or sorry, a green light for China to say, well, you know what, we got Taiwan, we got Hong Kong, we've we got other issues that we would take. The West is really, all it's really doing is bluffing. And in other words, they're going to have sanctions. Well, you know, once there are boots on the ground, sanctions are, you know, sanctions are good now to stop something. Uh, If there was to be boots on the ground in Ukraine, um, then the sanctions are probably secondary. What you really need to do is defend. And some people will argue, well, Ukraine's calling for war. No, Ukraine's not calling for war. Um, The Ukrainian government has from day one uh, done nothing but defended its sovereignty. So when somebody attacks you, then obviously what you want is you um, you want to defend. So it's not about Ukraine wanting a war. Ukraine doesn't want a war. I don't think anybody wants a war. But Russia uh, persists. And, you know, his uh, 1st of December this year, or last year, sorry, you know, his whole thesis about we're all Slavic brothers, we're all part of one, you know, nation, we're all that. Well, that's a lot of rot. Um, We all know it's a lot of rot because um, the Soviet Union fell 
You know, uh, Ukraine voted for independence. It's got its own independence. It's sovereign. It's got its own sovereignty. So to be talking about trying to build something or rebuild something is absolute nonsense. When you know over ninety percent of the population in nineteen ninety one voted for for independence. So um, what we have stop Putin is to let the world know this is happening. There has been a lot of work done around the world globally in trying to influence governments to put pressure on Putin. Um, and this campaign it will now continue. The Ukrainian World Congress will now, um, we've now called for uh, the second part of this. Uh, and we're calling for on the 22nd of January, you know, then there's a large list there, uh, that there be again um, activity. We're changing the course a little bit. It's more about this time stand with Ukraine because we're trying to influence now politicians to stand with Ukraine, uh, to send that, that strong message uh, that we are standing with Ukraine and we will stand with Ukraine. So that campaign uh, will start and it's another international campaign. Obviously, it'll take on, like the Stop Putin campaign, um, it'll take on different, uh, different ways of doing it. For example, in Chicago, uh, last on the 9th of January, people rallied outside the legislature, uh, had MPs speak in that. Um, in Canada at the moment, you can't because of COVID. We see in Portugal, people went out in the streets. We've basically said to people, it's horses for courses. We can do a social media campaign. Uh, we can do a letter writing campaign. We can do a phone campaign you know, to maybe bring this down to Australia. What we've done is we've sent to all our Ramade uh, lists of federal members of parliament who are in their state and territory, uh, and we'll be asking them on Monday or later on next week to contact them to say, look, Australia, you also need to say something about this. So the campaign, it'll have different, uh, different ways of doing it, but it will also um, try and uh, focus on sending a strong message that... Uh, we stand with Ukraine. I think that's what need, that's what Ukraine needs at the moment. Yeah, um, that sounds like a very good campaign. Hopefully, it does uh, take off, and hopefully, it can affect uh, some kind of change, especially along uh, amongst um, the politicians and the political leadership. Um, so, for those who just don't know, could you give a brief background to some of the key events that led up to this situation and the tension that we're seeing now on the border? I think there are a number of aspects to this. First aspect is Putin continues to want to pressure Ukraine, you know, or push Ukraine in a particular direction. Um, that is, don't go, don't go to the West, don't go to Europe. Uh, you should stay. You should stay closer to us. Secondly, he has put his own log of claims. In other words, that Ukraine should not be accepted into NATO. Uh, and again, uh, he's played that card, uh, disinformation card, that if Ukraine were to go into NATO that all of a sudden uh, Russia would be threatened. Well, NATO is not there to create uh, issues. NATO is there to support in, 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 times, in times of need. The issue with uh, Ukraine, the, the map, the roadmap into NATO is probably still one or two years off, uh, but that roadmap needs to be developed. What he's trying to do is hijack that roadmap. Also, um, there is the issue of Nord Stream 2 and also you know, gas pipelines and so on. Um, he wants to pressure pressure the world. Now, what he's basically doing, which they, you know, Russia does, unfortunately, very, very effectively, um, what it does is it does it in a hybrid way. Um, you know, at the moment, 
everybody's on tender hooks. The whole world is on tender hooks because they don't know what's going to what's going to happen. And the other thing that um, if you the your question about why is this happening, I often use this this example. One thing that Putin is very very good at, you know, he should he should be a, an artist. You know, if those who know, you know, primary colours and all that sort of stuff um, and, and other colours, you know, uh, when you talk about arguments, there are th- sometimes things are black and white. In our eyes, things are pretty black and white. Ukraine is an independent state. It's a sovereign state. He can decide what he wants to do. He wants to go to Europe, goes to Europe, wants to go to NATO, goes to NATO. Um, what he has been able to do is mix black and white together. And when you mix black and white together, what you do is you get grey. And then there's uncertainty. And some people say, well, maybe he's right. Um, and I think a good a classic example is MH17. The whole world is saying... You know, you're responsible. We know here's the here's here the here are the videos, here's here's the the evidence, and he's been able to say, well, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, and therefore you have people who are, you know, not sure. And I think what Putin has been able to do is, um, you know, throw that uh, I suppose that that whole thing of uncertainty in the minds of some. Well, if Ukraine were to go to NATO, you know, would would that uh, escalate the situation? And so on. I mean, it's all nonsense. But they are they are masters in disinformation. And the other thing I think that that, that is very very clear, um, it is the interference of pro-Russian people in the Ukrainian parliament. There are there are those people, the Medvedchuks and others, who continue to undermine and what they're trying to do. And I think you know one of your questions might be, well, how, if 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 something were to happen, how would it happen? Because that's what everybody's asking. You know, does somebody get up one day and say, oh, you know, tomorrow we're going to have a war? You know, um, I think people, uh, Putin has done three things. One, he's basically trying to diplomatically get Ukraine into a neutral position. If that doesn't work, what would be his next step? His next step would be, well, you see, government's incompetent, send the message out. You know, what we really need is an extraordinary parliamentary election. And if there was to be an extraordinary parliamentary election in Ukraine today, there's a high, there's a very high chance that pro-Russian um, uh, side of things would have a majority. Therefore, another win situation. If that doesn't work, then what do you do? You then threaten people with military action. And how that might be? You know, it's not going to be about somebody, you know, some tank driver getting up in the morning and saying, oh, I'm going to go over the border now. It's going to be probably, you know, a separatist action that will be created with Donatsko somewhere, which will be created. uh, And then it will be, well, you know what? There are Russians who are living there. Therefore, I have to defend uh, my people like he did with Crimea. The question now is, if that were to happen, what would the West do? And I think that's why these campaigns, that's why, for example, our, our colleagues in America at the moment are working frantically to try and get uh, Congress to pass some resolutions on, on, on issues in terms of supporting Ukraine um, because, uh, you know, America's a major player in this and uh, what we have to try and do now is to get the world to stop, think about what's happening here, understand that this is not just a Ukrainian issue. You know, again, people in the media often say, well, this is just a civil war in Ukraine. So there's just some people who are not happy on one side and the other. No, it's not. It, it is 
It is the interference of one country in the sovereignty of another. Your answer raises some very interesting points about the possibility of Russia interfering and potentially invading Ukraine. And in recent days, major Western publications have published analysis of the logistics and difficulties that Putin would have occupying Ukraine. Um, do you see a possible outcome where other Western nations would join in supporting Ukraine or a Ukrainian insurgency against Russian occupation? Look, there's, there's, I started out by saying it's quite serious. Yeah? We have, for example, the Ukrainian World Congress, one of the things that we had suggested was that um, maybe to diffuse this situation in some way was for, you know, UN peacekeeping uh, troops to be put on the border. Therefore, if there were to going to be an insurgency, then obviously you're not only dealing with Ukrainians, you're dealing with other countries. Um, whether, you know, the, the, big, the big question, the big unknown for everybody is this. If this were to happen, if it were to happen, would Biden put boots on the ground? Would Canada put boots on the ground? And I think what um, we're trying to say to people is, you know, it may come to that. You know, the National Guard in Ukraine, um, the volunteers, the reservists, um, that, that that group um, is also growing. So there are people who are saying, you know, in Ukraine, well, I'm going to fight. I'm ready to fight. You know, uh, why are we ready to fight? Well, you know, there's a whole question of sovereignty and so on. But we have a responsibility to those 13 or 15,000 uh, Ukrainians who have died in this war uh, up until now. We have a responsibility to the million or 1.2 million um, refugees, people who have been um, displaced around Ukraine. Um, and keep in mind, Ukraine... Um, it, it hasn't asked for humanitarian aid in terms of, you know, will you take our people? Um, Ukrainian, Ukra the displaced people have found their spot somewhere in Ukraine. So I think from what some of the Ukrainian foreign affairs people are saying, we also have a very, I think, effective minister for uh, defence, uh, Minister Raznikov, who is not backing off. And if you, you listen to Raznikov, Raznikov, you know, he's basically, um, to use Konovalitz's, uh term, you know, we can either be the makers of history or we can be its sacrifice and we're not going to be the sacrifice. So I think the difference that you have now that you haven't had up until now is um, there's a very strong commitment from the Ukrainian Armed Forces, from the Minister for Defence, that, um, you know, we're ready for action. We don't want to, but you now the question is, if Russia decided to invade tomorrow, how long would it take them to get to Kiev? You know, everybody says, you know, within 24 hours, they would just run over and think that's why it's important um, to seek that, 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 that support. For example, our community organisations have reported to us, for example, in Latvia, Estonia, Poland, that there is a real worry there because um, somehow they may be involved in this. And that's why, you know, without being alarmist, you know, you, you could start talking about a, a you know, full-out war, but that's going to depend on the Allies. And the other thing that we're doing and we're trying to do is um, what we call the five eyes. In other words, America, Canada, Australia, and to a degree, New Zealand, um, for the five eyes, for, for those countries to speak together, um, to be able to say, okay, if something were to happen, 
how would how would we react? And, and we don't have an answer on that. I think that's the danger. We don't have an answer. You know, it's like the Australian government. You know, we, we know that the Australian government supports Ukraine. We know the Australian government says, you know, uh, you know, Putin, get out of Ukraine. We know all that. But the question is, what commitment is there? So we, we've, for example, from Suas' point of view, we've written to the Minister for Foreign Affairs now a number of times. Um, we've written to the opposition foreign affairs uh, spokesperson, uh, Penny Wong. Uh, we're meeting with her advisers next week. Um, in, in Adelaide. Uh, we hope to meet with the uh, representatives of the Minister for Foreign Affairs in Australia, uh, Minister, uh, Minister Maurice Payne, um, and say, what is Australia's commitment? It, it's, a bit, it's a bit like I equate it to revolution of dignity. You know, when the revolution of dignity started, uh, when I was in Ukraine, uh, the date started and uh, I, I was there for a week. I flew back uh, for a couple of days to Australia, and the first thing it did was to make contact with the Minister for Foreign Affairs to say, why isn't Australia saying anything? Why aren't you out there doing what the others are doing, you know, at least verbally uh, supporting Ukraine? Eventually, they they are very strong in their support. So we we need to, these campaigns that we have, I think their objective is to raise awareness without being alarmist, but to show people that this is serious. This is quite serious, and uh, we're 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 waiting for we're waiting for that res- response. We ho- we hope we don't have to. We hope we don't have to call on, you know, the armed forces of other countries. But um, I think Ukraine uh, would be looking for more than just somebody saying we're going to give you, you know, we're going to do sanctions. I think Ukraine at this point in time would be looking for real support. Yeah, um, going off on the talk, uh, continuing your, on your um, part of, of peace talks, the recent peace talks between Russia and the United States recently ended and there wasn't any real clear you know, compromise or any um, clear um, agreements that were reached. And shortly after that, there were cyber attacks on various government websites. Do you believe that these two things are related? And do you believe that this is yeah, Russia trying to press, put more pressure onto Ukraine? Yeah, look, I try to be as objective as I possibly can. So let's let's put let's put our Ukrainian hat aside. Okay, let's put let, let's just be Joe Citizen who who looks at a situation. Um, when you when you look at the situation with Russia and Ukraine, Russia has used different methods over many years to try and influence the situation in Ukraine. Um, you know uh, when the Orange Revolution happened when the Revolution of Dignity happened. They try to discredit that by saying this is all, you know, Western-funded. You know, um, uh, Russia has been very, very good at, even you know, from our point of view as, as organisations, you know, we're fascists, you know, Nazi collaborators. We're doing all, you know, painting a picture of a failed state. Um, Russia has in 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 previous times also undermined. Um, Ukraine in different ways. So if you put all the blocks together, why would you discount that um, this cyber attack was not done by Russia? Isn't this just another bow, you know, in their in their armory to try and bring down, bring down Ukraine? You know, failed state, economically bad, um, you know, uh, cyber attacks. Um, and, and, and they'll say, they will say, as as they normally will, 
you see you guys you're, you're paranoid you think that everything that, that happens wrong in ukraine is is our fault well you know what you've got a pretty good track record of things going wrong and you being involved but you would have heard uh, on channel seven uh, the, the two comments from Mike Amor and what's her name, Rebecca Madden, off the record conversation that they had about Djokovic. And it didn't take long, it didn't take long in the chain of things to find out who was the person responsible. So in this world of technology, I think it's just a matter of time before you find out exactly where it started. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to start in Moscow. You know how technology works. It, 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 could, it could start anywhere in the world question is who's behind it so i think by track record you'd have to give uh, if you're a betting person you know i'm not a betting person but if you're a betting person you'd have to bet on the fact that uh, russia was involved agreed and unfortunately these days even being proven to have done something as you know categorically russia's involvement in the 2016 election in the u.s obviously is pretty conclusive but even that still can be so doubt and be painted as grey. So I think in this day and age, it's difficult even when you have the writing on the wall. I wanted to just go back, Stefan, to, to something you mentioned early in the piece around you know the potential of false flag type activity on the border. So one of the reports that's come out for those that are listening, uh, the American intelligence services have recently suggested that there are people placed in Ukraine, uh, Russian FSB agents potentially and others who are there specifically to undertake tasks that make them look like they appear as Ukrainians uh, attacking either Russian consulates or separatist forces in uh, eastern Ukraine and that they might use these sort of attacks against the eastern separatists and obviously the Russian army directly, that the Russian army may in effect attack itself to suggest a pretense for war. Now, for our, our listeners who are students of history, this is actually not something new. And unfortunately, even the Second World War arguably started from something very similar. In uh, There's a few incidents, but the Glywitz uh, radio station is probably the biggest one where uh, it's basically been conclusively proven that an SS team attacked its own station disguised as insurgents. Now, I guess what I wanted to just touch on is that as we looked at World War II, it was a situation where a country like, in this case, Poland, had its territorial integrity protected by treaties from the UK and places like that. And obviously, because of that, we did embark on a global war in Europe. And just going back to the ideas, I guess, of protecting Ukraine and getting boots on the ground, do you feel there is an appetite from the Western powers to potentially delve into the high stakes of a, another European war to protect Ukraine? And what can we what can we all do to kind of help convince the world that we have to not be called in a bluff. Look, I think does anybody want war? Nobody wants war. I don't think anybody wants a war. But um, at the same time, when you say people don't want a war and you ask why, um, keep in mind war costs money. And if you look at economies now around the world, you know, which country, I mean, you know, which country can afford uh, another war? Uh, some people will argue that you know some countries create wars because it then it creates uh, creates jobs and creates uh, creates uh, you know moves moves the economy, but you know if you look at the uh, world economy today, um, obviously you know let's take America. Can America really afford another war um, when you take into account COVID and 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 the cost of COVID in 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 thing? But but is there an appetite? I think there's an appetite. Uh, from 
in, in most cases, I think there's an appetite to tell Putin, you still, you've got to stop this. You've got to stop this. The appetite's there to stop it. Is the appetite so big that um, we're going to the second course, and that is um, a war um, that I think, you know, what we're saying in Ukraine is nugs up. That's where the question mark lies. And I think that's why um, the more that the West, uh, in a sense, tells Putin, well, we're not going to sit idle, then I think there's more chance of having this resolved. But all these negotiations, and, and, and when I started at the start, I mentioned to you that there are negotiations at different levels, and and people will say, well, you know, the Ukrainians are not succumbing. Keep in mind, you know, you'll remember that um, when Zelensky came into power, one of the first things we all did internationally with, uh, you know, Zelensky <laughs> was to uh, articulate a set of red lines. There were certain things that were non-negotiable. So, you know... Um, one was that sovereignty was not negotiable, um, that we would not uh, succumb to, you know, Russian pressure on particular issues like NATO and so on. Um, we'll continue the road to Europe. We'll do all those sorts of... So those red lines, um, we have, for example, in the last two weeks, because people forget about these red lines sometimes, and we've tried to raise that at different levels around the world um, and with the Ukrainian government, that there are red lines and in your negotiations you cannot cross these red lines because if you cross these red lines you'll find that people in ukraine will end up also you know jacking up and saying well okay what the hell is going on here let's let's go back one step um zelensky's the new president okay is he a good president bad president you know i, I think at the moment you know he's he's doing a job and i, I suppose the jury's out Okay. Some people say he's very strong. Other people say he's, you know, some people say he's playing for the Russians. Uh, not so much him, but it's part of his administration. The question is this. Um, today, and, and in, our, in our circle, we talk about being drzhavnike. In other words, builders of statehood. So the last thing you want today, anybody who gets out there today and says, you know what, we've got to get rid of Zelensky. We know we've got to do this, we've got to do that. It's a big mistake. The question is, at the moment, we need to rally sort our resources to do a number of things. Give the government of Ukraine a strong message. Use our influence around the world to get support for Ukraine. Um, those are the sort of things that we we need to do. The Russians would love nothing, nothing more than to see a big, uh, you know, again, Yikish uh, Maidan. You know, we can touch on... We can touch on one other issue maybe a bit later on, and that is Poroshenko and him returning back to Ukraine. But again, you know, what Russia would love? Russia would love another, you know, Saakashvili returning to Ukraine, you know? one people, Some people say he's a criminal, other people say he's a hero, people are fighting on the streets, and Russia says to the world, well, these are the people you want to support? Look at them, they can't even organise themselves. So there's a, there's a, there are a lot of factors uh, that come into play and I think the question of, um, you know, Russia trying to create a scenario and the scenario that you you, you raised um, is a very real scenario. When you look at, um, you know, Donetsk and Eastern Ukraine and what's happening, you know, the, Russia paints this all the, all the time. There's, there, there are no Russian, there are no Russian boots on the ground there. What are you guys talking about? These are Ukrainians. These are people who are not satisfied, Ukrainians, who are want change. 
Well, that's not that's not the case at all. It's a proven fact that that, that there are members of the Russian armed forces in in in, in eastern Ukraine. But yeah, and they shot you know down what? MH, uh, and they shot down the plane with um, Russian missiles. So that's how right. did they get those? That's right. And and you know, and again, you've got the you've got the videos, you've got everything, you've got you know, and uh, yet. I go back to what I said before. Still, you know, um, I mean, Australia. Keep in mind, Australia's just on on that point. Is you know, um, the budget before last uh, put in fifty million dollars uh, into international court cases um, to get this thing resolved. And and you know, um, the, the 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 Australian government has been very resolute that we want uh, on behalf of those families, the Australian families, we want a, we want a solution to this thing, and we want somebody we want somebody to be charged. But Russia does this very, very well. So I, I think again, that is that is one of the biggest dangers that you mentioned, Justin, where something will be created, created by the Russians themselves, um, where uh, then Russia has an excuse to come into Ukraine and say, you know what, we're defending our people. But you know, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a catch twenty two situation, isn't it? How can you be defending your own people when you when you're when your people are not there? You know? Well, he, I guess no... he believes them to be the same people, um, based on the article that you very well mentioned on the historical unity of Ukrainians and Russians, that was published on the Kremlin website. I guess uh, what July of last year. Uh, just on that, I think the last thing I just want to ask around the overall demands that have been kind of announced by the Russian government recently in regards to you know denying or at least putting a moratorium on the membership of Ukraine and, and Russia to, so Ukraine and Georgia to NATO. Let's look at a hypothetical scenario where the West did, did negotiate and agree to the demands of Russia all this week and came to a conclusion where they really did compromise and maybe arguably even just succumb to the will of Putin. Do you really believe, you know, based on all those kind of conversations, we've, like we've talked on the program about the article uh, in question and how, for a lot of for a lot of people, the view is that really, for Russia to feel like it has a glorious history, it needs Ukrainian history or Kiev and Rus and everything that comes with it to really be identified as as a continuation of Russian history rather than Ukrainian. So, do you do you think even if everything was agreed to, if if the West had succumbed, do we think we really would be avoiding war at this stage, or there would just be another excuse made to to invade? No, I think it'd be just another another um you know uh, another opportunity uh for russia to try and uh, have the upper hand what you know we're not we're not talking about you know the last you know 100 years we're, we're talking about you know a history of three 400 years so we're talking about and the cosmocracy that that russia has thing and you know when somebody wants to rewrite history well you know um i mean history uh you can pinpoint you can pinpoint when Ukraine or you know what is now Ukraine and then you can pinpoint the the, the time that uh, you know Muscovia uh, <laughs> came about so you know the fact that the fact that they write history from their own perspective that that's that's one thing but to go back to your question about NATO you know for example what 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 is Ukraine or for you know Ukrainian World Congress and, and everybody talking about what we're talking about is um, you know, is, is Ukraine going to be in NATO tomorrow? Well, no, I don't think anybody thinks that NATO is going to be in Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine's going to be in NATO tomorrow. What they're talking about is the roadmap into NATO, which is, you know, it, it is a process uh, and that we should have this, we should have this roadmap. And, you know, um, is it up to Russia to say, and they, they will say, yeah, for our national security, you know, um, Ukraine and Georgia 
you know so what's going to happen you know like let, let's be sort of realistic so ukraine and georgia and somebody else joins nato and then what do they do they go into nato and then all of a sudden they have a meeting in nato and they say okay you boys we've got you know what now we're here boy now we're going to take on the russians i mean how, how ridiculous uh, the whole thing is ridiculous it, it, it's it's farcical um, i mean nato why is nato there it's there to defend you know it's, it, it's not there to instigate um, NATO doesn't instigate, uh, you know, situations. What it is there to, to defend? Who is defending? And let, let's just go back to, you know, the Budapest uh, Accord and, and, and you know, the uh, undertakings that the West gave Ukraine. You know, um, you, 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 you know, you give us your nuclear arms and nuclear and all that stuff and we'll look after you. Well, you know what? <laughs> the time has now come to look after us. I mean, you know, uh, some people will today say, well, we made the biggest mistake. You, mean, you know, imagine if Ukraine today had nuclear arms, you know, and you say, right, uh, you know what, you want to play? Well, you know, we'll be another little, you know, North Korea, we'll show you, we'll have a, we'll have a, you know, a few little, you know, uh, experiments over the Black Sea there and we'll just see how far these things go. You know, the, the, the point is that, that I don't want to oversimplify things, but there is a responsibility. I mean, the the international community has a responsibility, and I think we need to keep we need to keep saying that. Our problem is, you know, and and that's why this campaign, just to go back to the campaign, stand with Ukraine, is what we want. Is you know, we know that, for example, Trudeau's had a meeting with uh, with Zelensky recently. We know that other leaders have had meetings with Zelensky recently. They have advised him on on particular on particular issues. But I think ultimately now. Um, Let's hope it doesn't get to this. But this will be a real test case. So what's the worst-case scenario? Worst-case scenario is Russia takes over Ukraine, and what happens then? Another Afghanistan, or what happens then? You know, and, and I think the, the West needs to... I know that our, our colleagues in America, I spoke to them this afternoon, um, you know, their time last night, um, they're doing everything possible. Um, it, it's not about just Ukraine. You know, the message they're trying to say is, you know, understand what the what the consequences of all this might be. Um, you know, you might you might have to be fighting something for the next ten years. Why not stop it now? And what do you have to do in terms of stopping it? You got to put pressure on Russia. Look, you know, if 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 the international uh, community were to cut off the SWIFT system for Russia, in other words, no more international transfer of money, ninety percent of this stuff would. It'll be done and dusted. That's the serious stuff. You know, to, to say um, there are going to be sanctions. Now, have a look at what sanctions we have. We're not going to let the third secretary of a embassy come into the country. Or we've asked the fourth... Uh, we haven't asked an ambassador. We've asked some, you know, lowly guy in, a, in, a, in an embassy to leave because we show that this is a sanction. Well, you know, I mean... <laughs> I mean, that, 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 I'm not saying that's not important, but, you know, that's that in the scheme of things. Well, you know, the sanctions, real sanctions would be to cut off things economically because uh, if you cut things off economically, that impacts, you know, Russia, keep in mind that Russia also, the, or, you know, civil society of Russia is also a bit of a, uh, you know, smouldering uh, pot at the moment. You know, uh, the fact is that what do you need? You, you need in Russia, you need people enough people to be dissatisfied yeah sure you know what uh you 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 become the leader of the opposition they poison you they do whatever they do but you know civil society 
And I think, you know, whether it's Russia or whether it's Ukraine, you know, what happened in Ukraine? I mean, civil society said enough's enough. And I think with, with Russia, it's it's the same thing. And, you know, the other thing you've got to be careful of is, is you know, when you talk about Russia, you, you can't say, you know, every person in the Russian Federation, you know, is there are a lot of people in the Russian Federation. There are people here in Australia, for example, with the Russian community, which we have, you know, we have relationships with certain people. Um, they're not they're not Putin supporters. If you remember um, the G20 in Brisbane, you know, we had members of the Russian community with Russian flags coming, shouting with us, Putin, get out of Australia. So the issue of impact of sanctions is also very, very important. You know, America, yeah, for example. Jumping, jumping in on Sorry. your point for sanctions, because I've, I've read uh, some reporting about um, the different possible stronger sanctions that the US might put on, um, and some of them included specific targeting of sanctions against oligarchs that are close to Putin. Um, there was another one that would be um, effectively pressuring Germany to um, to affect changes with Nord Stream 2. And then the strongest one, and I was wondering what your thoughts would be on this one, would actually be um, blocking the conversion of Russian rubles to US dollars. What kind of impact do you think that would have on yeah, Russia? Well, that, and that's that, that would have, if you, if you hit the economy that way, okay, you know, this is through SWIFT and that, then, then you know, uh, that's going to have some impact. You know, the other things you're talking about are also very important, but if there's going to be an inversion or incursion or call it whatever you want, is it um, putting a, a black ban on somebody or freezing somebody's assets? Is that going to stop the war? <laughs> I, I just don't see it. I, I, I don't, unless there is, you know, sometimes it's got to be, you've got to fight fire with fire. And if, for example, the uh, international community, you know, were to say, okay, we'll take you on. Yeah, then people say, yeah, well, hang on, maybe then China gets involved and then, you know, you've got a third world war and that, well, you know what? You guys are starting it, not us. Uh, nobody wants it. But I think, um, look, uh, you, you mentioned, for example, America and thing, you know, uh, Nord Stream 2. Well, you know, um, the the issue of, you know, the, the, the voting that's going on in Congress at the moment, you know, with the Americans on, on Nord Stream 2. Do you support it, don't support it and so on? As much as we've tried, the Americans, uh, there's there's a there's a problem getting that through. You know, in Germany, um, you know, the Greens are there at the moment. And there's some sort of relationship with the Greens now. Um, again, you know, is that enough to stop it? But uh, they're the sort of things that you know maybe will get Mr. Putin to you know go go lie in bed and say, "Geez, I better I better think this thing through." But at the moment. You know, let's put it in a, in plain terms. If you're Putin lying in bed now before you go to sleep, um, is there enough pressure for me to change my course? Well, there's not. There's a lot of talk. So I'm going to test it. I'll, I'll test it and I'll keep pushing this until uh, I decide to go one way or another. So let's hope it doesn't get to that. As for our last question, uh, Stefan, what do you think our listeners can do in each respective country of theirs to stop uh, to help stop this invasion from happening? You know, uh, politics is a it's a funny game. Okay, it's all about votes and it's about things. Right? What we what we're calling on is is you know it's one thing. Let's take Australia. Okay, Ukrainian the Ukrainian Australian Federation of Ukrainian Organisations writes a letter to the Minister for Foreign Affairs and says, you know, uh, Minister, which we do on a regular basis. 
But you know what? There are somewhere around about 48,000 people of Ukrainian background in Australia. Okay? So let's say that all of a sudden there's a, an influx of letters. There's you know, 1,000 people uh, writing. Let's say there are you know, um, uh, people who we have those lists that I mentioned before of members, select members within the government and the opposition who sit on the Standing Council for Defence, uh, Foreign Affairs and Trade. Um, if we were to write to them and knock on their door and say, hey, I'm your constituent, I'm worried about this, can you please send a message to the Prime Minister and to the two things? Yeah, look, in internationally, you'll see, for example, Canada, Congress of Queensland Canada, they were the initiators of this campaign, but they are uh, they're very strong about writing to their local, you know, provincial or, or, or federal member. Um, people who are in Portugal are already doing that. People in Greece. So, if if you're listening internationally, then you, it, the, the same model applies. You know, uh, if you're listening in America. Um, you know, Ukaka has has a list of people that you should be writing to in terms of the um, Ukraine or the US Ukraine uh, caucus uh, that, that Marcia Capital uh, heads. Uh, Canada, uh, Europe, um, you know, very, very important that you're, you're, you're right, you're right to um, members of parliament. And again, the strategy is this you, you know, you, you can write to the top person. But it's no less important to write to your local member and ask your local member of parliament, wherever he or she is around the world, is to say, I am your constituent, you know, uh, and I want you to take up this issue. And you'll find that if, if we can get a bit, of a, uh, a bit of a role on this, you know, if you're a member of parliament and you've got 20 letters saying the same thing, you, you'd sit up and you'd say, well, hang on, I better, I better do something here. So it doesn't matter whether you are, whether you're in Greece or whether you're in France or whether you're in wherever you are, um, the, the model is exactly the same. Um, you can go to the Ukrainian World Congress site. It, it's already up there anyway now about the campaign. You can get the information from there. Um, but I would suggest that uh, that is something that we can all do. Let us know which stories you'd like to hear by reaching out to us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us next week for more Ukulele Broad content.